You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get ready for another blast of winter. Up to 20 centimeters of snow could fall on parts of the south coast by tomorrow night. Sarah McDonald is live with what you need to know and the preparations already underway. Sarah. That's right, Chris, you said it. Another blast of winter is in the forecast. This weather system is accompanied by multiple warnings, as is typically the case. Commuters of all kinds are being warned to buckle up for a potentially messy commute tomorrow from start to finish. TransLink has reactivated its snow plan in advance of that anticipated snowfall early tomorrow morning. That means extra staff members are on the clock and trolley wires are already being treated. When it comes to SkyTrain, which so many transit riders rely on, the Millennium Line will be coupled tomorrow. That means there will be less frequent runs, but each run will have a higher passenger capacity. Last month, issues with SkyTrain, of course, especially the doors, were faulted for causing substantial delays, something TransLink is working proactively to prevent this time. We did have an issue last snow event with, with doors getting jammed with ice and snow. We saw kind of a blowy light snow last time, which is atypical for Vancouver. What we're expecting tomorrow is the big, chunky, wet snow that we're used to seeing, and hopefully we won't see those problems with the doors. But to that note, we have kind of arranged our staff a bit differently, or we're planning to in the morning. So we have what we're kind of calling pit crews of, of sky train station attendants at key locations on the system. So they'll inspect every train that's coming through and make sure to get rid of as much snow and ice from the doors to prevent any delays on the system. Some good advice there in the province, also issuing some words of wisdom of its own tonight to drivers right across the Lower Mainland. Their crews are on standby heading into tomorrow morning. Their advice, Chris, something that we have heard multiple times this year already, and that is for any driver who is planning on hitting the roads in winter conditions to ensure their vehicle is properly equipped with snow tires. All right, thanks very much, Sarah. We'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for the timeline of when this snow arrives. Christy? Chris, Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island will get hit first. It will push in overnight through the early morning hours, so the commute to work could be tough in those areas. But for Metro Vancouver, it will just start to develop at that point. That's what we're looking at for right now. So it may not be a tough commute to work unless it pushes in a little bit earlier. More so right now, what we're anticipating is a tough afternoon commute. That's where we'll see more widespread snow and accumulations. Vancouver Island, though, conditions start to transition to rain for you by the afternoon and conditions start to get a little bit better. When I come back, Chris, we'll show you how much snow could uh, fall, up to 20 centimeters for some areas, and I'll show you which, but also when will it transition to rain in Metro Vancouver. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. We'll check in a little later. Right now, though, hundreds of people stranded for days on Sasquatch Mountain Resort are finally home. They were stranded on the other side of a washout that took out the only road going into and out of the resort. Aaron MacArthur now on the effort to get the road repaired and why some are questioning who's accountable for both the road and the cost of the rescue. The washout is enormous, and it's not the only one. Hemlock Valley Road cut off in two places. People stranded at Sasquatch Resort since Friday, finally escorted down Monday afternoon. Uh, and this beast is fine. Yeah. yeah but the washout's pretty, pretty snaky? Yeah, it's pretty snaky. It'd be hard to get two vehicles up there. Most people, understanding of the situation, but happy to be finally going home. <laughs> Did you think about taking the helicopter offered yesterday? Well, we were thinking about it, but then, well, we couldn't bring much. The car would still be there, so we thought 
we'll make the most out of it and uh, just enjoy the extended holiday. Some of the hundreds of people at the resort couldn't wait, grabbing a seat in a helicopter to get off the mountain Sunday. But the cost of the chopper at their own expense. Some people who got home furious they're out of pocket so much money. We have to get out of there. We all had to go back to work on Monday, yes. At the cost of $150 per person. And there were seven of us. So that was over $1,000 for us to get off the mountain. The MLA for the region, Laurie Thronis, agrees, asking why people would be forced to pay for their own rescue. There is a policy. The provincial government accepts responsibility for the cost of evacuation. It is an inconvenience. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the, you know, Paying for helicopters to fly people out is 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 not part of the uh, is not part of the, the the program. The road was opened uphill late afternoon, so people could get down, grab medications and necessary supplies. A few full-time residents say this road will need major upgrades to meet the demands of a new development. The resort now says everyone has been safely evacuated from the mountain. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Crews on the ground and in the air are still searching for a missing souk man after the bodies of his two friends were found. Corey Mills, Eric Blackmore and A.J. Jensen went missing late Friday night during the intense rainstorm. As Brad McLeod reports, the father of one of the victims believes the three might have been out in the pouring rain just to find some fun. He was uh, very funny and kind and caring. Eric Blackmore's father says his 20-year-old in the middle of this family photo is one of the two young men found dead on the banks of a swollen Souk River. We can't believe this is happening to us and uh, we can't believe this happened to him. The search is still on for a third missing man. Eric, Corey Mills and A.J. Jensen left this Souk home late Friday evening in a blue pickup truck but never returned home. The next day, they were reported missing. Hundreds in the community rushed in to help with the search. It was a bylaw officer who found the first shiny clue by the rushing Souk River. Upon looking at it a little better, it looked like a, a bumper. A helicopter was then directed to the area. The missing pickup truck spotted, submerged, and a considerable distance downstream. And on Sunday, even further down the stream, the bodies of two men were recovered. Police are still investigating what happened on the extremely stormy and wet evening, but believe the truck could have been swept away somewhere along the popular but dark, flooded Souk River Road. Covered in water, uh, river water, fast-moving water, um, barriers, concrete barriers were actually moved. Now just to give you an idea how high that river was on Friday, these massive pieces of wood were carried up here to the parking lot, meters above where the river flows now. The area is a popular playground, particularly when wet. They'll go like through puddles and see what happens. It was raining super hard and I, I bet they would, hey, let's just go out and do some puddle jumping, right? Just dumb kid stuff. The pickup remains in the river while police and search and rescue focus on finding the third man piecing together what actually happened will come later. You never know what might turn up. Maybe he crawled into a cabin. We, we don't know. As for Eric Blackmore's grieving family, they thank their neighbours near and far for helping with the search. Grateful is like a, a mild word compared to what, what I feel inside for this town. The search for the third man is expected to continue Tuesday. Brad McLeod, Global News, Souk. A 14-year-old snowboarder who spent a cold night on a mountain at Sun Peaks Resort has been reunited with his family. 
After a successful search operation, late this morning, the rescue helicopter delivered what family and friends were anxiously waiting for. Carson Hadwin, cold and tired, but safe and sound. The teen was reported missing yesterday evening after he failed to return home from a day of snowboarding. The RCMP, search and rescue crews and family mobilized a massive ground and air search for the teen, deeply concerned for his safety. Me and uh, his uncle hiked up the mountain this morning at about 6.15, 6.30 before the chairs and the helicopters and everything. We just, we got right to the top and we were yelling his name and, you know, just seeing if we could get some response. Yeah, you know, not, not hearing a yell back and... You know, you, you don't know, that's a big mountain. And, uh, and not hearing him call back is, you know, pretty scary. You don't know where he is. You don't know what happened. Carson is being treated for frostbite, but is expected to be okay. RCMP say it was his footprints in the snow that ultimately led rescuers to his location. Glad he got out okay. All right, we have more tonight on a plan of strike action by BC teachers should ongoing mediated talks fail? And Keith Baldry joins us now with more of those details. Keith, it looks like the teachers might have softened some of their planned actions a little. Yeah, they changed a few things, Chris. This is the memo from President Terry Morey. I got my hands on that, created so much excitement. Uh, 300 teachers from the Representative Assembly of the TF met over the weekend in Richmond, and they tweaked this and made some significant changes. So here's the four-stage plan as envisioned by the union president. First of all, stage one, which is one we've been in, they've been in for some time now, that's an information campaign designed to pressure the provincial government to putting more money on the table. Uh, stage two would come after a strike vote is taken, and that would see the withdrawal of... Fr- of teachers from uh, uh, administrative duties, but no impact on extracurricular or volunteering. That's a change that was made from this original document. Stage three becomes more serious. It's, uh, it has to take another vote, but it would lead to rotating strikes. And those rotating strikes would be at the behest and determination of local teacher associations, not the inner group of the TF executive. And finally, stage four, the big one, uh, another vote would have to be taken. It would involve uh, lead to the full-scale walkout of teachers and a province-wide strike. So So the plan basically still in place uh, from what we saw originally, but some tweaks were made. Bottom line, no job action at all as long as the mediator stays in place. And so far, he's not going anywhere. All right. Good to know. Thanks very much, Keith. It was one of the signature acts of the B.C. NDP government after it took power, a requirement under the Community Benefit Agreement plan that construction workers on many major infrastructure projects must be members of a specific union. But now, as Ted Chernecki reports, that plan is being challenged in court by those who think it's unfair. A coalition of some of the biggest construction associations walked into B.C. court this morning asking the judge to rule the NDP so-called community benefits agreement is a violation of workers' fundamental rights. The policy means that everybody loses. Construction workers lose, contractors lose, and taxpayers lose. Men and women that CLAC represents along with the rest of the 85 percent uh, hard-working British Columbians, their taxpayers in this province, their tax dollars are going to build the very projects that they are now excluded from working on. Like the kicking horse four-lane expansion from Kamloops to the Alberta border, the multi-billion dollar Broadway Skytrain extension, or the 1.4 billion dollar Patolo Bridge replacement, all currently governed by the CBA. We need to train people. Non-union companies do a good job of bringing people in. They don't do a great job of finishing off that apprenticeship. 
In court, they argued about what they could argue about. The independents wanting to include the Charter of Rights to make their point that everyone has a right of association. But in the end, the judge said that's a question best answered at the Labour Relations Board. We do believe that this is that the Charter case is a matter for the courts, and so we will be seeking uh, appeal uh, in the next weeks uh, to, to ask the judge to reconsider. The Independent Contractor Sister Association, Merritt Manitoba, ran this exact same case against Allied Hydro in Manitoba. They lost in the uh, Manitoba Supreme Court, they lost in the Manitoba Court of Appeal, and the Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear their appeal. So now it's off to the Court of Appeal for the independent contractors and a potential lengthy delay and ever-growing legal costs in the part of the province and thereby the taxpayer. Ted Schenech, Global News. Right now, though, for the first time tonight, we're seeing video of the marathon interrogation of an accused double murderer. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam has admitted to stabbing Richard Jones and his wife Diana Ma Jones in their home in 2017, but he's pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. As Romina Dea reports, his answers frustrated the interrogating officer, even in the face of significant evidence. And a warning, some of the images in this story will be disturbing for some viewers. A hatchet, knives, DNA, multiple surveillance videos. The police interrogator tells the accused killer it's over. The fact of the matter is, Rocky, you can see that the evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming that you planned this, you waited two weeks, and then you, you did this thing for whatever reason. I don't know what you were doing in there. I don't know if you intended it to go this gruesomely. What happened to you? Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam would not break even after eight hours of questioning. You know, Rocky, I can sit there and I can feel that you are feeling something. I can see that you're emotional. Why aren't you taking this chance to at least express remorse? Maybe today you're not ready to talk about the whole ugly story, but at least say you're sorry. For what? You're an animal. Moments later, Cam, who was 25 at the time, mumbles in Cantonese, this is effing crazy. I didn't kill anyone. How could I be sorry? I could only be sorry if I killed someone. Under cross-examination, Cam told Crown he bought the hatchet after seeing an axe-throwing scene on an episode of the TV show Modern Family. Crown counsel Daniel Mulligan suggested Cam was on his computer doing searches for crime scene cleanup, tasers and drugs to knock people out because he was searching for ways to kill people slowly. Cam denied the allegations, but he said he remembered killing the couple, but after he didn't lose sleep or feel guilt. Defense says the accused thought he was in a video game. Romina Dea, Global News. Now to a new Westminster courtroom where emotions were raw today as a judge sentenced the man convicted of killing Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. But before Oscar Arfman was handed his fate, as Grace Key reports, he listened to the powerful victim impact statements from Davidson's family. 
Constable John Davidson would have been in his element with grandkids climbing all around him. His daughter Dina said her future children will never know the most amazing grandfather they could have had. Davidson's widow and three children fought back tears as they read victim impact statements in a new Westminster court. Davidson's widow says, The first thing I see when I wake up is John falling to the ground face first. I can't imagine the feeling of intense pain throughout his chest, hoping he didn't remain conscious to feel the pain. Youngest daughter, Faye, was 19 when Davidson was shot and killed. She said, I was not done getting to know my dad and he wasn't done getting to know me. It makes me furious to know my dad doesn't know who I'm becoming. Davidson's killer, Oscar Arfman, had no reaction when he was sentenced to life without possibility of parole for 25 years for first-degree murder. Diagnosed with schizophrenia, Arfman addressed the court saying, I feel like a victim myself. He feels he was railroaded and he spoke of his injuries. He doesn't believe he killed anybody and he thinks he's the victim, as he said, he thinks he's the victim of a car accident caused by the police. Crowns' Constable Davidson was ambushed. Arfman shot him once in the back and again in the head as Davidson lay on the ground of an Abbotsford business complex back in November 2017. Arfman had been spotted in a stolen Mustang and fired twice into a truck before fleeing. Officers rammed their vehicles into his car. He was then shot and injured before he was arrested. The Davidson family wished to thank everyone who played any positive part in the journey to today's sentencing. Outside of court, Abbotsford Police Chief Mike Sear read a statement from the family. This won't alleviate our struggles in the future, but anything less would have been unjust and an insult to John's memory. Constable Davidson was honoured in a full regimental funeral with about 10,000 people coming out to say goodbye to a fallen hero. Grace Key, Global News. Those controversial speed cameras at intersections across B.C. are in the news again with the latest data about the number of drivers ticketed. As Richard Zussman reports, while speeding tickets are up, tickets for running red lights are down. And critics are wondering whether the cameras are actually making the roads safer. It's a lesson British Columbians are seemingly learning the hard way. I think overall we are getting the idea that driving certainly can be risky. The province continues to set up more intersection speed cameras, up from 5 in July to 15 in November. And the tickets are piling up. New numbers released Monday show 2,370 tickets from July to September. Now, from October to December, 7,353 tickets with new cameras operating. Public Safety Minister says it's still too early to determine whether the goal of increased road safety is being met. What we really need to have is a, uh, a year's worth of data uh, and then we will know uh, for sure we'll have a very solid grounding in terms of what the numbers say. While there are just 35 speed cameras, there are 140 across the province looking to see whether people are going through red lights. And the number of those infractions has gone down substantially. From July to September, there were 23,883 of those infractions, but from October to December, just 20,907. Certainly that might indicate that people are paying more attention to the, to the lights and the color of the lights and how they get through those lights. Then there's the question, does getting a ticket actually change a driver's behavior? It's not correcting the behavior at the time that it's occurring. It's no different than telling your dog, don't tear up my couch 
four days after your dog has torn up the couch. The BC Liberals calling this a big cash grab with no proof the roads will be any safer. So that's a question that has to be asked. Is this really having the kind of impact we were told or is it simply generating more fine revenue? But even with the criticism, the province is continuing to expand the speed camera program. Eight new Metro Vancouver locations coming on February 24th, including four in Surrey. Clear the province is sticking to its radar guns. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Vancouver father who sparked controversy by teaching his children to ride the bus without him is still fighting a legal battle over his parenting choices. Adrian Crook says he plans to appeal a B.C. Supreme Court ruling that he believes infringes on his right to teach his children how to be independent. People have a lot of reasons for taking their kids to school, but it's not every parent's choice. Buses are 24 times safer than any other mode of transportation. Uh, the most dangerous thing you can do is put your kids in a car and so forth. Um, these are all backed by statistics. But those stats didn't impress bureaucrats in Victoria. <laughs> After Vancouver's Adrian Crook trained his five children to ride the bus to school in the morning, someone reported him to the Ministry of Children and Family Development, and they told Adrian that was too dangerous. So that had fairly profound uh, effects on my family. <laughs> If there was ever a case of government stepping on a parent's right to raise his children as he sees fit, Crook felt that this was it. So he went to court asking for recognition they'd gone too far. Monday, he learned the judge has sided with the ministry. But Crook is undeterred. And so I think we have a pretty clear case that this was an overreach on their part. What we're hoping to achieve primarily is the recognition of Adrian's charter rights as a parent. That's lawyer Malcolm Funt, who will now take Crook's case to the Court of Appeal. That, plus a stream of online, moral and financial support, means they aren't backing down. Basically to let uh, him as a parent decide about the fundamental choices uh, for his children. On Monday, the ministry appeared to agree with Crook, telling Global News they would be comfortable with children as young as 10 or even younger riding the bus alone. But because they won't talk about individual cases, we don't know why they came down on Crook in the first place. Paul Johnson, Global News. Passengers on an Air Canada flight break into cheers and applause after pilots land their plane safely at Madrid's International Airport. The Toronto-bound jet carrying 128 people was forced to divert to Madrid and circle for four hours before landing after pilots reported a ruptured tire and an engine problem. It's believed the exploding tire damaged part of the engine and that the plane's landing gear didn't retract properly on takeoff. There are new details tonight about Ottawa's plan to evacuate Canadians who are still stuck in China because of the novel coronavirus. 325 Canadians in Hubei province have registered to leave the epicenter of the outbreak. The federal government says it's chartered a plane and is in the process of finalizing permission to land in China. The plane will be flown to CFB Trenton in Ontario, where passengers will be quarantined for up to two weeks. There's still no word on the flight date. In China, the first patients with novel coronavirus are being checked into a new specialized hospital in Wuhan that was built in just 10 days. It comes as the number of coronavirus cases in China soars to more than 17,000. 
At least 360 deaths have been attributed to the new virus, with only one of them outside mainland China. Some 50 million people are still barred from leaving Wuhan and surrounding cities. A second new hospital with 1,500 beds is still under construction and is expected to open later this week. In Washington, D.C., the impeachment trial of Donald Trump came to a close today with both sides delivering final arguments. And while Trump's acquittal, expected on Wednesday, isn't in doubt, there is still the question of the margin of the vote. The final shot to sway senators tonight. How many falsehoods can we take? For Democrats, an uphill climb, aiming their closing pitch at Republicans who say they don't like that President Trump pressured Ukraine to investigate his political rivals, but don't find it impeachable. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. If you find that the House has proved its case and still vote to acquit, your name will be tied to his with a cord of steel and for all of history. But the president's defenders argue Democrats are overstepping. These articles fail on their face as they do not meet the constitutional standard for impeachable offenses. This is an effort to overturn the results of one election and to try to interfere in the coming election that begins today in Iowa. Now the focus turns to Wednesday's final vote. At this point, not so much a question of whether the president will be acquitted. That's all but certain, given the Senate's Republican majority. But by how many votes and whether Democrats in states the president won, like West Virginia's Joe Manchin, will side with Republicans. You are still undecided on this. So why? Sincerely undecided. Because there's a lot to be weighed here. There's a lot of consequences involved here. President Trump on Super Bowl Sunday was asked whether he can still work with Democratic leaders like Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Well, I'd like to, but it's uh, pretty hard when you think about it because uh, it's been uh, such, I use the word witch hunt, I use the word hoax. In Health Matters tonight, a preview of the Variety Show of Hearts is this weekend and an introduction to two-year-old Alice. She's one of approximately 50 people worldwide who suffer from an extremely rare genetic disorder. The condition affects brain development with lifelong symptoms and complications that have both physical and mental impacts. Fortunately, Variety has been able to help provide intensive physiotherapy sessions that aren't funded by the public health care system, and they help with her development. So it's important for Alice to have more physiotherapy so that she can achieve her motor milestones. She's able to sit with a little bit of support on unstable surfaces, which is a huge improvement in the few months that I've seen her. We are incredibly grateful for Variety's support. Just knowing there are people out there who care about your child and who could help her achieve her full potential is incredibly important for me. You'll meet Alice and her family and many other deserving kids this Sunday on the 54th annual Show of Hearts Telethon. The show is live from 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And you can either call in with your donations, which we love, or you can visit Variety's website at variety.bc.ca. Very much looking forward to have you with us. A short Instagram post from the Rolling Stones has rocked B.C. music fans. What it means a little later. Well, your snowblower may be saying start me up by tomorrow <laughs> night. Let's check in with Christy for the latest on the weather forecast. That's right, or do some arm lifts to get you ready for shoveling tomorrow. Right. I'm starting with the window, weather window tonight. It's a nice spike. It's very rare, but found this morning. I wish I knew where, but Lisa hasn't been able to get back to me about where this photo was taken. Nonetheless, if you're wondering how it was created, it's basically an inverted 
icicle. I have a full explanation on our website. We actually had one reported here in the Metro Vancouver region in New Westminster last year in March. So just search Ice Spike and you'll get that full story. Really cool to see that. This was their day today, believe it or not. And now we're talking about snowfall. So yes, Vancouver Island, Sunshine Coast, it'll push in overnight, affecting your morning commute. But for our region, just starting to develop through the morning commute. It's the afternoon that will be affected, widespread snow and accumulations. And as we head towards the late evening hours, we'll just start to see a transition, more so it's overnight, that will be back to rain. So basically, you can expect snowfall throughout the day tomorrow, whereas Vancouver Island, your transition to rain could happen pretty quickly in that some areas may not see much accumulation at all. Here's how much we could see. Southern regions likely seen less. The further north you go, that's where we'll see more, anywhere from up to 15, maybe 20 for higher elevation regions. And we're also expecting snowfall across inland sections of the Vancouver Island and up towards Campbell River, also towards the Sunshine Coast. But you'll note areas like Victoria, just two centimeters. All right, so here's your forecast for tomorrow. Snowfall from these northern regions right down into the south, five to 10 for the Okanagan Valley region, but developing through the morning hours and then picking up a little bit later on. For our region, Vancouver Island transitioning to rain, staying as snowfall across Metro Vancouver through the day, transitioning to rain overnight. So Wednesday looking wet and the Wednesday morning commute not too bad at all, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, the Rolling Stones are teasing a 2020 World Tour, and it looks like Vancouver fans might just get what they want. The British rock legends dropped this short video on Instagram showing a train rolling through the countryside with the iconic lips beaming into the clouds above. No official dates have been announced, but several billboards featuring the Stones have popped up in downtown Vancouver, and fans are hoping that that is a sign of things to come. And here's another hint. You'll be seeing a lot more about the Stones coming up. You just will. Oh. Trust me on it. Okay. (laughs) He said cryptically. You well connected? (laughs) You were on the phone with Mick Jagger this morning? (laughs) No, not exactly. Squires here with a look at, uh, talk hockey first. Well, yeah, because on Friday we mentioned that if the Canucks can get points out of the two games on the weekend, that would prove a lot about this hockey team. And they did just that. They won, and they lost in the shootout, so they got three out of a possible four. Now, the road trip continues tomorrow. They'll be in Boston. That's going to be a tough one. The Bruins are the best home team in the NHL. I think this will be the first time, if I'm not very much mistaken, Quinn Hughes gets to play the Boston Bruins. Oh, and uh, J.T. Miller. J.T. Miller, the third star of the week. Named that by the NHL today. Seven points in four games. He's only five points short, I think, right now of his best ever point total in his career. He has been a huge addition to this team so far this season. Well, Andy Reid's long quest for the Super Bowl, of course, finally ended yesterday with the win against San Francisco, and it's thanks in large part to a man who's 37 years younger than Andy Reid. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes has been the kind of player Reid was looking for his entire coaching life. He has had decent quarterbacks to work with before, but nobody like Patrick Mahomes who engineered three comeback wins in this year's playoffs, including yesterday in the Super Bowl where he was the MVP. When Mahomes was in college with Texas Tech's, Kansas City Chiefs scouts kept putting tapes of him on Reed's desk and telling him, watch this kid, he's going to be really good. And now Reed knows that all those scouts were right. He says along with Mahomes' obvious physical skills, that the quarterback he has now 
has a mind like a coach on the field. He sees the field, which I appreciate. You can see that in college, on his college tape. And that you say, well, quarterbacks see it. No, they don't. Not like he does. He comes off and um, he can tell you accurately what he saw that play. And, and so there's video evidence if you're right or wrong every play. And, uh, and after a bit, you go, man, this guy, this guy's unbelievable. If you bought a Whitecaps jersey every time they made a change, you would need a closet dedicated to Whitecap jerseys. Like a lot of soccer teams, the fashion is constantly in flux with the Vancouver Whitecaps. This week on Wednesday, they'll unveil a new look, which leads us back to some of the old ones. We thought we'd go back in time, which isn't all that far back. 2011? Mm-hmm. I didn't mind that. It looks good. Okay, it was clean. Simple. This, you know, the lines now are going diagonally. That was pretty good, too. Uh, this was a tragedy. Never wear all brown. No matter what. Even if you're the Cleveland Browns. That wasn't so bad, that one. I like that one. That one. This is my favorite here. The kind of changing blue, getting lighter down to darker. And then we had this as an away uniform. And, of course, uh, last year they went with the 1979 throwbacks, which weren't bad either. But we'll see what they come up with this year. The Vancouver Giants have a first-round pick on their roster right now, of course, and Bowen Byram, who was selected last year by Colorado. Forward Justin Sordoff could be the next first-round pick coming out of the Giants in this year's NHL draft. Here's Sordiff with room up the right wing, cutting to the middle. What a play. Sordiff oh, scores! This is the kind of skill that has Justin Sordiff of the Vancouver Giants ranked by NHL Central Scouting as the 23rd top skater for this year's entry draft. You know, there's certainly some grease to his game, which I think attracts a lot of scouts and, and makes him who he is. He, he, you know, his goal here on Friday night, uh, playing inside and playing fast, uh, you know, that's a kind of... That's the kind of player he can be and the kind of player we need him to be. The Giants are no strangers to producing high-end NHL prospects. A year ago, Bowen Byron went fourth overall when Joe Sackick and the Colorado Avalanche selected him in the first round. Byram knows firsthand the pressure and distractions that come along in your draft-eligible season. Eventually, you look at the rankings, whether it pops up on your Instagram feed, Twitter, whatever it is, you, you usually see it. But uh, I think the most important thing is just not, not really worrying about it. I mean, it's cool to be ranked high, ranked low, wherever you are. But, uh, yeah, it's important to uh, stay focused on uh, what you need to do, and that's, that's play good hockey and help your team win games. I think if you just focus on like team success uh, and you focus on winning, um, everything else will just kind of fall in place. Uh, and I've you know, kind of figured that uh, you know, with the way I've been playing, um, try not to stray away too much from my game, and uh, it just kind of everything you know, falls into place. So. At the moment, Sordiff is a solid second-round draft pick. Injuries slowed down his production earlier in the season, but he's come on of late, and depending on how he finishes the year, could be a first-rounder. To keep sort of focused and the distractions to a minimum, the Giants have him writing a daily diary, tracking every aspect of his daily life, his success, and the Giants, all in the little details. Again, we're gonna we're, we're climbing a mountain here, and it's a lot easier to do uh, as a group as opposed to by yourself. And, and I think with that mindset, uh, it takes a lot of pressure off. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 7 centimeters of fresh snow. Grouse, 11. Cypress, 7. And Sasquatch, 6. Manny Park, 2 centimeters. Revelstoke, 5. Fernie, 5. Kicking Horse, 1. Big White is the winner today at 18 centimeters of fresh powder. Silver Star, 4. Sun Peaks, 10. And Apex, 2. Mount Washington, 2 centimeters. Whitewater, nothing new. Same for Red Mountain. Powder King, 2 centimeters. 
All right, a um, Monday post-Super Bowl edition of Ooh. Satellite Debris with yes. Squire. Let me just say, Christy has proven me wrong. She can make <laughs> all brown look good. <laughs> no, Head to toe brown. Go. Yeah, yeah. Head to toe brown. So there is, there so is good. someone on the planet Earth who can do it. All right. Let's uh, look at some Super Bowl ads that you may not have seen yesterday because you couldn't see them in Canada. We're going to start off with Snickers and then a clever one from Walmart, which will include a lot of sci-fi movie characters. Grown men ride scooters. Everyone's texting dirty pics. Babies named after oh. produce. I care. The surveillance state's got brand new tricks. I am not spy. The world is It's working! Doors! Quickly, get the big blue bag! Big blue bag! Whoa! Is this the future? This is the present future, Bill. Here is your order, Bills. Excellent! <laughs> Here are your groceries. That's all coffee, right? Coffee, coffee, coffee. Whoa. And you know Walmart's doing well when they can hire all those Ooh, characters. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that. Okay, so Ellen DeGeneres mm-hmm. yeah. and Mr. Peanut, in that order. <laughs> Baby, coming! Alexa, turn down the thermostat. Okay, turning down Ready. thermostat. Ready. Huh. Here we go. What do you think people did before Alexa? Alessa, turn the temperature down two degrees. Thank you, dear. Alexa, tell me a joke. Jokes. Um. God, you think I know lies? Look at me. <laughs> Next. News. Get your news here. Alex, what's today's news? Doesn't matter. It's all fake. <laughs> <laughs> Al, play that song I like. Al, next song. Lexi, tell us something interesting. Okay. The earth is flat, and a witch stole his pants. Maximus, send this message to Prince Constantine. Alicia, remind me to delete those tapes. Yes, Mr. President. I delete. Yeah, I don't know what people did before Alexa. Alexa, play my favorite song. (laughs) Mr. Peanut, he spent his life bringing people together. I know he'd be happy. That we are all together now. <laughs> yeah. What is happening? 
What is that? Is that a baby nut? Just kidding. I'm back. Where's my monocle? So Super Bowl was, of course, held on Groundhog Day, which right. meant Groundhog Day. Okay, campers, rise and shine. It's Groundhog Day. And don't oh, forget no. your booties because it's cold. Oh, Phil? Hey, Phil. No, not you. It's me, Ned Ryerson. Okay, little fella. Good job. That's different. Good job. Hey! <laughs> Phil? Hey, you're gonna freeze to death. Who cares? See you tomorrow. Don't say you're here too long. Safety first. Yeah. He got the ground horn, Phil! It's not personal. It's just a game. Not a bad day, huh? I don't know where we parked. I was following you. <laughs> that was the best of the bunch, that was wasn't it? Favorite. Yeah, that there was were a couple of really good ones in there. There were some good ones this year, but that one. And it's not very often Bill Murray, I think, does an ad. No, that's yeah. true. Uh, okay, last word on some of the snow that's arriving tomorrow. Sure. So uh, watch the morning commute. Certainly tune in tomorrow morning for an update. But I'm not expecting the commute to work to be as bad as the afternoon commute. All right. We'll have all the details right here and online. Have a great night. Thanks for watching.